Thank them with me. They've been working so hard over the past month to bring that as an Easter gift for you. So happy Easter from RCC. I'm happy that you're here today. I, I welcome you if you're visiting with us today. Um, it, it's going to be a tremendous Easter celebration. But, but first, I have to tell you, this past couple weeks, I bumped into someone on the, on the street, and they mentioned to me how excited they were to come to our Easter show this year, that they always come to our Easter show. And while that was really nice that they were excited to visit, I, I was a little weirded out by it because you need to know for us, it's not a show at all. I get why someone would say that there's the lighting and the great musicians and all the talent they have and all that stuff. I, I guess it could seem like that, but, but we work very hard not to make this a show, but to make it a party. What, what today should be, what Easter should be, is a party for Christian people. It, it should be the biggest party there, better than the 4th of July. I wish we had fireworks. I wish we had it all because there is no bigger day for a Christian person. This is a day that we celebrate that Jesus lives. This is a day where we get a little glimpse of what heaven's going to be like. I don't know what what you've been thinking so far, but heaven is not described in the Bible as this place where everyone just floats around on clouds and, you know, kind of does nothing. The the description of of heaven in the Bible is a place where we do stuff. There there are things to do, and there's worship. It's like all day long, everywhere worship would be like the ultimate music festival. Where there are these all these different people worshiping everywhere, all different styles of music, new music, new instruments. I, I think will be involved. God is, is a God of creativity. Heaven's gonna be amazing. It, it's this giant party and a banquet, a, a feast. It's a celebration. So that's what today is. So hopefully you can feel it. Hopefully you do recognize that salvation is near for everyone. That is biblically true. That's what we'll talk about today. Because today is also an opportunity for you personally to consider your faith, just what's existing between you and God today. It's a, it's a day for you to think about it. So if you're visiting and checking it out, again, I welcome you. There's a gift for you on the way out. There's a gift bag. Go ahead and take it on the way out. We're happy that you're here. But you need to know if you are checking it out, this is a safe place to explore. It's a safe place for you to think about what you believe and, and, and kind of study it a little bit and really make a, a real decision for yourself. If you are visiting, you could possibly think that Christianity is all about rules and judgment. And I have to tell you as we begin that that's just sad. If that's what you've been led to believe in your life, you've been misled. That is not what Christianity is about. Not rules and not judgment. That's exactly what Jesus died and rose again to eliminate. He wanted to eliminate that thinking. That is not what faith is about. It's one of the reasons that we just sang the song, How Great Thou Art. We do think God is great. And we value investing in a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Because while on earth, Jesus showed us what God is like in human form. That's what he did. And the way Jesus taught and the way Jesus interacted with people while he was on earth is different and greater than anybody else in all of history. This is what we believe. So I want to share with you a a, a biblical account, an historical account of, of one of Jesus' interactions with a woman that, that's my personal favorite in the entire Bible. It's one of the reasons that I think Jesus is so great. You see, he, he was beginning to be known, and people were beginning to come and listen to him teach. So he's out teaching, and a crowd is gathered. And in the midst of all that, religious leaders come forward. Maybe they were pastors in their churches. We don't know for sure. 
they come forward and, and they drag this woman with them. And they say to Jesus, this woman was caught in sin. And, and the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? And actually, this wasn't about faith at all. It wasn't even about scripture at all. Actually, these people, these leaders, they were just trying to get Jesus in trouble. They were trying to trick him because they didn't like him. So they set him up. They bring this woman forward and they say, she's been caught in this sin. The law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? And the trick was this. You see, their ancient Hebrew law said that she could be stoned for that action. So if he says, don't stone her, He's going against their laws, their religious laws. And so he'd be in trouble. But if he says, yeah, stone her, then he'd be in trouble with the Romans because their government was overseeing all that at that time. So no matter what he answers, he's going to be wrong to one of the two power groups. He can't come up with the right answer. At least that's what they thought. And they keep demanding an answer from him. They keep pushing him, give us an answer, give us an answer. And then finally Jesus says, all right, stone her. But let those of you who have never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stoops down, and he begins to write in the dirt. So we're going to pick the story up here. I'm going to have it projected on the wall behind me. He kneels down and writes in the dirt. And and, and the Bible doesn't say what he he writes. There's all sorts of speculation from scholars. Some think that maybe he wrote the names of the accusers in the dirt, and then maybe he wrote their sins. So it would kind of diffuse the situation. How could you want to stone someone if you're also sinful? But we don't know for sure. We just speculate what he may have written. But whatever it was... These accusers, they start to drop their rocks. They're they're no longer accusers. Whatever he's written in that sand makes them drop their rocks and actually begin to walk away. And the Bible is so detailed here. The Bible says that the oldest left first. We don't know why. Maybe they were the most sinful. Maybe he wrote their names first. We don't know. Maybe they were just the wisest and they saw what was happening. But they walk away. And then Scripture says that only Jesus and the woman were left. The religious leaders leave And you have Jesus and the woman left in front of the crowd that was watching. Can you imagine being in that crowd and watching all this happen? Religious leaders, the people they respected, are leaving. And Jesus is alone with the woman? Can you imagine watching that in person? You'd have to be curious, right? You'd be wondering, what's he going to do? What's he going to say to this woman? You'd be on the edge of your seat as you're watching the whole thing play out in front of you. You might have been expecting judgment. But instead, that's not what you find. That's not what this woman finds. This woman at her lowest moment, this woman caught in sin, embarrassed in front of a crowd, she's expecting judgment, maybe death. And instead, Jesus doesn't condemn her. That's not what she gets from Jesus. Jesus forgives her in her lowest moment. Imagine what she might have been thinking. What would this woman now have thought of Jesus? So fearful at first, maybe, right? The, the range of emotions must have been tremendous. She had, to, she had to have some fear. You have all these religious big shots dragging her in front of the crowd with stones in their hand, wanting to have her killed. It, it was completely out of her control. She had no control at all of the situation, so fear, maybe panic. As I was studying it this week, I tried to think of a time in life when, when maybe I, I felt something like that. It was really hard. I ended up thinking of this time Janet when I were on a trip. And we had multiple plane fights, and the last flight was on a really small plane. Uh, smaller than I've ever been on before, usually you know, like on a big jet with 200 people or whatever. This was a plane that maybe there were like 20 or so people on it, and it wasn't a jet. It, it um, had um, prop, props, propellers on, on the wings. So that was weird. You walk up the stairs to the plane, you get on the plane, there's like 20 people on the plane. And I noticed right away there, there's like 
no flight attendant. There's not going to be any pop or anything. It's just very scaled down. Well, normally at that time when I get on a plane, maybe you're the same, I kind of start to daydream or read or listen to music or whatever because I've heard what the flight attendant says a million times. Like I don't really, you know, I put the seatbelt on, I'm done. I don't really pay any more attention. Maybe, maybe you do the same. So I was doing that, except no flight attendant, the, the captain comes out. I think it's just the captain and us. And, and the captain comes out, and he starts to talk. And I guess because it was different, I started to pay at least a little bit, a half of it attention or something. And he says something about the emergency bathroom. And I'm like, huh? Emergency bathroom? I'm thinking, if there's any kind of emergency on this thing, if this thing's going down, isn't the whole thing a bathroom? Right? I'm in panic now. I'm not, if the plane's going down, I'm not looking for any emergency bathroom. I'd be in pure out panic. I have no control of the situation. Just like this lady. Imagine. Imagine people dragging you and standing with stones over you, wanting to have you killed in front of a crowd. There, there could be no more fearful situation. All out panic at first. But then the leaders leave, and she's left alone with Jesus. I think she may have had fear of judgment, maybe not being good enough, right? When Jesus first starts to reach down to her, what's he going to say? Maybe she doesn't feel worthy of him. I felt that before I met Jesus. I didn't really want to get close to Jesus. Maybe you feel like this morning. Maybe it's a little scary to get close to Jesus. You feel like he's going to judge you or condemn you, that you're not worthy. I felt it. And honestly, if I'm going to be completely honest, on Easter Sunday, I felt that many times since even after being a Christian. Because as a Christian person, you still make mistakes, sometimes huge ones. And then afterwards, it's like, wow, it's kind of hard to pray because I know what's between Jesus and I. Sometimes you just don't feel worthy. Sometimes even other people's comments can make you not feel worthy, right? Other people can be so critical of your decisions or your actions. Sometimes people can just be so critical. But you need to know from this story, from Scripture, from God, Jesus is not harsh or critical. That's not how Jesus is. So whatever you've come to expect or whatever others have told you, that's, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus is loving and accepting and forgiving. He always accepts and forgives us. That's why God has saved this story in Scripture for us for a couple thousand years. I believe this really happened. There were all sorts of witnesses. As it got written down and saved at that time, any of those witnesses could have refuted it. But they did not. So this woman's interaction starts out scary, fearful of the other people, maybe of Jesus. But then as it played out, I think maybe she felt like she was finally accepted for who she was. Forgiven and supported unconditionally from Jesus. Maybe she finally felt like she met someone in her life worth following. Now, there's this song that we've done here at church many, many times over the years. And in the lyrics of this song, I think, are exactly what this woman would sing if she could right now. I think she could own the lyrics of this song. So instead of me talking about her any further, I'm going to call the band back out right now, and they're going to sing. But for this song, for this song, I'm going to come down front. As they come out and they take the podium away, I'm going to come down front. I'm going to stand, and, I'm going to, and they're going to invite you to we'll all stand together. And I'm going to sing along because when you see the lyrics, this is what the lady would sing. This is what I can sing. And if you've ever had your own personal experience with Jesus, I believe this is what you can sing too. 
So if you can own these lyrics, if you can sing these lyrics to Jesus today, if you could sing these lyrics to Jesus in heaven someday, I invite you to sing them today with us. And let's celebrate Easter. Let's celebrate Jesus Lives together right now. So Emmy just sang, the band just sang, I just sang, some of you just sang the words, what could separate us now? For that woman, that woman drugged before Jesus, what could separate her from Jesus? I propose nothing could separate her. Nothing could separate her. They, they sang the words, my, my, my sin was great, your love was greater. Isn't that her experience? That, that's my experience. Maybe that's your experience. So I would say not for her, not for me, hopefully not for you. Nothing can separate you from Jesus. She sang, and I sang, and some of you sang, what a powerful name it is, Jesus. What a powerful name it is. That's what any Easter celebration should be about. Jesus, power over death. That's what we celebrate on Easter. Do you believe that Jesus has that power? That's for all of us to decide. Do you believe that that actually happened? I do. And, and frankly, that's, that's why you're here today, I think. For me, um, many years ago I was sitting just like you are right now in a service. And the pastor was teaching. He, he's, a, he's a fantastic speaker, but I, I have a hard time paying attention. I drift off a lot. So if you've been drifting off, come on back now. Um, I, you're like me, come on back, you've got to hear about this. So I, he, he said something that made me drift off in his sermon. He mentioned that uh, Bill Gates, and somehow this was part of his sermon, I don't remember how, but Bill Gates had like whatever he has, a, a billion dollars, okay? So he mentions Bill Gates has a billion dollars, and from that time on, I wasn't listening to any more of the sermon. I drifted off. Because I was trying to do a math problem in my head. I was trying to solve the problem, if Bill Gates has a billion dollars, and I have whatever I had, $10,000, one dollar for me would be like how many dollars for Bill Gates? So I don't know, is that like X times 2 equals Y? I don't, how, I, I don't know. If you leave now, where do you meet the train in Arkansas? I, I was trying to do the math word problem in my head. My, my wife's going to slap me. She's a math teacher. She could do this. But um, I was trying to figure it out for the rest of the service, and I didn't even hear the rest of the sermon. We go home just like any other Sunday. I, go to, I, I was a teacher then. I went to school and taught all day like any other Monday. I'm driving home on Monday after work. And I get to this stoplight. And I can still picture it in my mind right now. I get to this stoplight and I started thinking about that again. And I guess it took me like 24 hours because I finally came up with the solution. I don't remember what it was, but if Bill Gates has, if I have this much, if I spend a dollar, he's got to spend like 10000 I, I solved it, I think. And then I was thinking, oh, that'd be great. What would I do for a job if I had that kind of money? Like what would I want for my job? And I decided at that stoplight, the light's still red, I decided that what I would do if I, if, if I could have that job is I'd, I'd get a gym because I like basketball a lot, and I'd sit at center court at a table, and people could come in, and whatever their problem was, I, I could write a check. So if they couldn't afford groceries, I could give them some money, or they couldn't pay their rent, or couldn't make a hospital payment, or you know whatever it was, you could, you could just write checks, and you have so much money, you could write those checks all day. That'd be my dream job, because like, that, would, that would be helpful to people. And then I thought, as I'm leaving, it's turning green. I'm, I'm going through the intersection. I thought, man, I'm just stupid. I'm just stupid if, if that's what I'm thinking. Because in my, in my mind, in my heart, that really doesn't solve anyone's problems. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a wonderful thing to do. To help someone in need is what we're supposed to do. That's a beautiful thing. And it does help in the moment. But it doesn't really solve 
the problem. So as I'm driving through this green light intersection now, I realize, in my heart, the only thing that really solves a problem, changes someone's life, is Jesus. That's the only thing I have confidence in, is Jesus. So if I'm dreaming about changing lives, I don't need to be Bill Gates. I just need more opportunities to tell people about Jesus and help them meet Jesus. I need to go into ministry. I get home and I tell my wife, and then the hardest part of the whole deal is I had to call my pastor. And I'm like, hey, um, you know, I was daydreaming through your sermon yesterday, but I think I need to be a pastor. And, and then you know, he told me about seminary and, and all this stuff. But I believe Jesus is that powerful. I believe Jesus can change your life today and tomorrow and every other day and all the way through eternity. I believe Jesus holds that power. Now, maybe you came here today believing just like me. Maybe you need to be convinced a little bit more. So let me share one more Bible story, one more historical account with you of something that happened in history. And, and this, this account reveals Jesus' power. It reveals how much power he has for anyone who recognizes his power. It's in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5, and it's a story of another woman. There's this woman who had been sick for years. She had been terribly sick, bleeding, going to every doctor she could find. The Bible even says she, she, she went to every doctor. She spent all of her money. She's got no money left, and, and no one had helped her find a cure. It says, in fact, she was only getting worse after all these years. And to make it even worse, what you need to know from a little bit of background would be that this would have made her um, an outcast. Because what she struggled with, others were told, stay away. So they wouldn't have been able to touch her or be with her or anything. So you have someone who's been sick for years that no one will be with. A horrible situation to live in. She's struggling through this, and she hears about Jesus, and she hears about his teaching, and she comes to faith in Jesus. And then she realizes if she could just touch his clothing, she could be healed. So there's this situation, I'm going to have you watch it with me in a second. There's a situation where he's in this massive crowd of people, and all she does is reach out and touch his robe. So we're going to watch it together, and I'm kind of going to narrate as, as we see it. But let's see what happens with this woman as she reaches out for Jesus. There's this massive crowd of people, and she just reaches out and grabs the bottom of his garment. And Jesus immediately feels power leave him. It says this in Scripture, and he's not sure who touched him. So he asks his friends, and it's such a big crowd, they don't know either. And then he sees her. He realizes it's her that touched him. And the Bible says now she's afraid. She doesn't know what to think because she doesn't know what he might do next. But he kneels down and he talks to her. And what he tells her is this. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You've been healed. So, is Jesus really that powerful? That's the real question. Because if he's that powerful, there's no way you couldn't follow him. He's either that powerful or he's not. Does Jesus have the power to heal? Does Jesus have the power to save you? If you just sang the last song, if you could own that last song, you probably already know that the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You probably believe that. I believe it. You know, here at RCC, we have this thing called, we call the everybodies. 
We have six things that we hope everybody knows and everybody does. It's, it's part of being in, in RCC. We want everyone to do it. And the first one is everybody fits. And it's because of these stories. Jesus will accept everybody. Everybody fits with Jesus. Even at your lowest moment, like that first woman, the lowest moment of her life, the most embarrassing moment of her life, she still fit with Jesus when she didn't fit with anybody else. Everybody fits with Jesus. Jesus says, follow me to everybody. He says, follow me to the party, to forgiveness, to acceptance, to heaven, to salvation. Jesus says to you at your lowest moment, Follow me. Because everybody fits for Jesus. Could this be your moment? Could this be your moment? Could this be your moment? We just sang it. We sang, can you feel it? Maybe you feel it right now. Maybe you feel that salvation is near, just like we sang right now. Do you know that it's only one prayer away? Do you know that it's that? direct in Scripture? We already said the verse, Romans 10, 13. You just call on the name of Jesus and you're saved. That's just a prayer away. It's one prayer away. And if you've never prayed a prayer like that, I'm going to do that right now. And you can just own the prayer in your heart. I'll say the words, but you can agree in your heart with the words. And you can call on the name of Jesus right now. If you've never done it before, The Bible says you are instantly adopted into God's family. Accepted, forgiven, raised up like the woman and held by Jesus. So if you've never done that, I'm going to lead that prayer. And I'll ask everyone to bow your heads. Even if you've prayed that prayer before, just out of respect for others, I'll ask everyone to bow your heads. But if you've never prayed that prayer, I'll say the words. And and you can own them in your heart with me. And you can become part of God's family forever right now. Dear Lord, dear Jesus, thank you for offering to accept us and to forgive us and to love us. Thank you for offering salvation just based on our faith in you. Lord, together right now in our hearts, we tell you we do believe in you. We do believe you're God's son. We're sorry for our past sins. And we just want to tell you now that we will do our best to follow you. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you just said that for the first time, today is a very special day for you. Scripture says that all of heaven celebrates when someone gets adopted into God's family. So if you just prayed that for the first time, God says that heaven is celebrating your decision right now. It's a very big day. I'm happy for you. It's a special day for Easter. If you just prayed right now, there's a gift on the way out. I'll remind you there's a book in there that you can read that will help you get started on your faith journey. And I invite you to the next series. The next series that we're teaching here at church is what would Jesus say? There's that old phrase, what would Jesus do? But I've always struggled with that a little bit because I see Jesus do these amazing things well beyond anything I could do. So it kind of like gives me permission to do nothing because I'm not anywhere near Jesus. So I don't know like, what Jesus would do. I don't know. But what Jesus would say, he says a lot in Scripture directly to us about the most difficult of topics, all the controversial topics, politics, money, faith, heaven, hell, our, ourselves, him, all of it. He talks about all of it. So in the next series, 
We're just going to study his exact words. You're not going to hear some pastor's thoughts or some church's position. You're going to hear the words straight from Jesus. What does Jesus say about these things? You should come. If you're brand new or if you've been coming for a long time, you should come because we're going to learn a lot together in the next series. But if you have already been attending for years, you've attended a whole bunch of times, you might have noticed that there's altars up front. We have these altars set up at the front of church. And you're thinking, that's odd. What's, what's up with the altars, right? It's a little different to have altars at RCC. But the Bible says in Exodus, build altars in the places where I remind you who I am, and I will come and bless you there. That's what God says to us. So it's okay to have an altar. Growing up at the church I went to growing up, um, there was always an altar up front at church. It was, it was like built in. It was beautiful. It was this giant altar. So that, that was normal for me. That's what I thought. You know, all churches should have an altar If you look in the Bible, what it says about altars is this. Back in the Old Testament, an altar was there as a place to make an offering or a sacrifice to God. People would come to an altar and make an offering or a sacrifice to God. Sometimes they were also built as a place of remembrance of God, a remembrance of something God had done for someone. The first altar in the Bible was built by Noah after the flood. So it was a place of remembrance. But worship services in the early Christian church, they didn't have altars at all. Because they knew that Jesus was the sacrifice, they didn't have to make a sacrifice, so an altar wasn't necessary to worship God. As the years went by, though, Christian churches began to add altars back in as a, as a way of remembering Jesus' sacrifice. If a church had an altar, they were saying, we, we do believe that Jesus made the sacrifice for us. And we have this here as a way of remembering Jesus, as a way of remembering God and how he's blessed us. So an altar in a church can be a beautiful thing, but it's not a necessary thing. Today we have them as a reminder of Jesus' sacrifice and as a reminder that Jesus lives. That's why they're here. And in a moment, in just a few moments, I'm going to call the band out and they're going to play a very special song and I'm going to invite all of you to these altars. You're all going to have an opportunity to come up and touch the altar. But first, I need to ask you a question. In the two Bible stories today, what was in it for you? You're here, you've given up your Easter to worship God. What's in it for you in these stories from scriptures? Well, in my opinion, I think every one of us here is represented in those stories. Every one of us here is represented in the two stories that I shared. Think about it with me. Maybe, maybe you were dragged here today. You didn't really want to come. You were hoping to go fishing or golfing or something. You didn't really want to come, but you know, your mom really wanted you to come or a friend really wanted you to come. So you came. Because they wanted you to. Or, or maybe you're dating someone who has faith and you're, you don't, you don't, you know, you're trying to fake it for a while while you're dating. I don't know. You're out there. I know you are. Just keeping it real. But you know what? I'm happy that you're here. I'm not ridiculing you in any way. I think it's honorable that you came to please someone else. Right? Like if you came to, to please your mom, that's beautiful. If you came to please your grandma, that's beautiful. If you came because you care for someone else and it's important to them, that's beautiful. I'm happy that you're here. But you're kind of like the woman in the first story. You didn't really want to come to Jesus today. But maybe after you heard these stories of Jesus, you realize the Jesus you expected to find isn't the real Jesus, and the real Jesus actually loves and accepts you, and now you're happy that you're here. Maybe you even prayed to say, I believe in you, Jesus. I didn't want to come today. Now I believe. Like the woman in the first story. Or maybe you're more like the woman in the second story. Maybe you already had faith in Jesus. You were just excited to be close to him today and to worship him on Easter. Maybe that's you. But you're one of the two. You either really wanted to come or you didn't really want to come. I'm in that second group. I really wanted to come. I wanted to be close to Jesus today. 
whatever group you're in, though, I'm going to call you forward to these altars. Because I want you to show God your response. You showed up today. Your acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice could be noted on these altars today. Your acknowledgement that he lives could be noted today. What I don't want you to be today is just an observer. Like there were people that that were there, right? When the woman was drugged before Jesus, it was in front of a crowd. When the woman was healed, there was a crowd. There were people in the crowd that saw it happen for them, but they didn't get to experience anything themselves. They were just observers. And I don't want you to be just an observer today. It's too great of a day to be just an observer. So for you today, coming to the altar could mean simply you are remembering that God is there. God, I know you're there. I want to come to the altar. I know you're there, God. Please help me to get to know you better. That could be why you come. Or maybe you want to come to the altar like you did in the olden days because you want to be blessed by God. God, i got a really big exam coming up this week. Please bless me. And you're going to ask God's blessing at the altar. You could say it when you come. You could say a little prayer. God, please bless me. Or maybe coming to the altar for you today means coming to Jesus. It means coming to Jesus maybe for the first time. You're a new believer. You said, I believe today. And you want to come and tell him today. Or maybe you've believed for a long time and you just want to come and say thank you for all that Jesus has done for you. Everyone could come. is for everyone. Jesus is always for everyone. So this is how it's going to work. This is different than anything we've ever done. So it might feel a little funky at first, but it's all going to make sense. At these altars, we have um, like a table runner down the middle that's white. And then we have these purple ink pads in front of it. You might have noticed my thumb is purple. You've been wondering the whole service? Like, why is this thumb? Can you see it in the light? Something's purple. Here's why. Because I'm going to do it too. You're going to come down and you're going to put your finger in the ink pad and then you're going to leave your fingerprint on the white runner. It's already full of fingerprints from, from last night and from first service this morning. So you're going to join with all of these other people and identify yourself as being here today. If like heaven has fingerprint recognition, you'll be in, right? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You're in simply by believing in Jesus. That's what the Bible says. That's what God says. You don't, you don't got to do this to get into heaven. But I want you to do it for you. I want you to do it so it's a moment for you to recognize God or to recognize Jesus. Whatever it means in your heart, this is between you and them. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It's between you. And I'm going to come down and I'm going to do it too. And, and we'll have tissues down there. Some other pastors will come forward because your, your thumb's going to be good and purple. But if you take a tissue and you wipe it, then it won't like, get on your clothes and stuff. You'll, you'll still have the memory but not the stain on the, on the nice dress, right? So you can come forward, and I'll call the band um, out right now, and as I call them out, I'm going to say a prayer, and I'm going to ask God to bless you this Easter. So please bow your heads, and I'll ask God to bless you. Dear Lord, thank you again for Easter. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to worship you today. Thank you, God, that it is simply by belief in your Son that we get to have a relationship with you now and eternally. God, as these people come forward right now and, and acknowledge you, recognize you or recognize your son, I ask your blessing on them this Easter. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.